0: that let's open our Bibles to Psalm 32 this is a do you guys remember from last week I did a whole week on the intro to it but you guys went out to the parking lot after Bible study last week and that's probably about where you forgot everything that I said last week right but anyways this is a penitent psalm it's a psalm of repentance there's um, one, two, three, four, five, seven of these psalms that David wrote. Um, the most popular and the most familiar one to us is Psalm 51. But Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143 are penitent psalms. Now, they're, they're, um, when when we repent, you have to understand that there's two um, Two sides of that same coin of repentance. Because you only repent one time unto salvation. You, when you repent unto salvation, you get saved. Now, some people might have grown up in a church where every Sunday you had to come up and ask Jesus in your heart and get saved again. There's, there's plenty of churches out there with that doctrine or idea. And, and if you sin during the week or something goes wrong, that you have to come up and get saved again every week. So, um, that's not what the Bible teaches, Um, so you get saved one time unto salvation. But then after you repent unto salvation, you repent the rest of your life unto another S word, Sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we go from being born again to becoming more like Christ. It's your sanctification. It's the. It's the. You. You may be in a in a process of sanctification um, from the time you got the day you got born again to the day you die. You'll be in the process of sanctification, and during that process of sanctification, repentance is that um, we do every day. We do all the time that we confess our sins before God. And the Bible has a lot to say about confessing and about having an open conduit between you and the Lord, that when you have sin, that you confess that sin. The word confess, we're going to get to it. And so this is David confessing, repenting of his sins. And again, I gave you those seven Psalms where each one them is a psalm of David when his heart is broken. The most famous one and the one that we kind of got bogged down in last week, so I didn't get to a ton of verses in in chapter 32, but we do have to start there briefly. Psalm 51 in verse 13, David is going through this process of repentance. And again, Psalms 51 is such a powerhouse psalm. If you're in a place of seeking God and, and your heart is broken before the Lord, David said, God, sacrifice you don't require or else I would give it. Sacrifice meaning that, that you, you give money, you go serve, you go do something of yourself to, to make amends with God, that you've sinned and, and you want to go pay God back and, and make some kind of sacrificial part of your life as a gift to God. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices could have been literally taking your sheep, which was part of your livelihood, and, and, and how many sheep you had, they didn't have bank accounts, they had sheep accounts. And so they had cattle accounts and these things. So when you took those and you sacrificed them, it cost you something, but it was a sacrifice. And, and David says to the Lord, you do not require sacrifice. If, you were, if, if what you wanted from me was sacrifice, I would give it. And what did David say? He said, but you desire, what God wants from you and me is a broken and a contrite spirit, O God. And this is something that you can't sacrifice for. You can't, you can't manufacture. You have to seek the Lord and come to a point in your life where you're broken. We ended last week by talking about this, this point where we get to where we repent and we, get, and we have a broken and a contrite spirit. And there was one particular character in the Bible in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, and his name was Jacob. And um, anybody in here named Jacob? Anybody in here have a kid named Jacob? You have a son, Jacob? Okay, close your ears. I'm going to bag on you for a minute. <laughs> um, Jacob is not a, a good name. It, Jacob means heel catcher, surplanter. Jacob was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Um, now, Jacob is not, don't get me wrong, lots of Jacobs, so that's, that's good Jacobs, right? And Jacob's a Bible name. But the name itself, in, in Hebrew, it was because when, when Esau and Jacob were born, they were twins in the room, Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. Now how did these two infants, only because the Spirit of God would have known and and the story that they're in the the Bible in Genesis, he's hanging on to his brother's heel. Why? Because the one that comes out first has the birthright. The one that comes out first has preeminence. And so in the womb, Jacob understands this, and he's hanging on to Esau's heel like, No, me! And so his dad seen that, and he called him heel catcher. And then in his life... Day, uh, Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his brother Esau. He deceived his father. Do you remember what Jacob did? His dad was dying and couldn't see. And Jacob took goat skins because Esau was hairy. And he put goat skins on his arms. And he made this soup that his brother made. And he brought it into his dad. And his dad couldn't see him. So his dad reached out to see if it was Esau, the oldest, the firstborn. And he felt the hairy arms. And he gave Jacob Esau's blessing. Now, what we don't understand is that it was irrevocable, that there was power behind the blessing that, that he gave to his son Jacob, which meant for Esau. So when Esau came in, Esau was distraught, and he was destroyed, and he said, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Father. Bless me. And what does that tell him? He said, I can't, man. I already gave it to, to Jacob. I thought he was you. And so what did Esau do? He said, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so what did Jacob do? He ran. And he ran. And then you know what he did, the little sucker? He put his wife and his kids in between him and Esau. And he went on the far other end. So Esau was coming one way. And he put everybody in between him and his brother Esau. And And he ran. And he ran from the Lord. And he deceived. And he, and, and he lived his life that way. And he was always the schemer and the planner. And he was always had some roundabout way. To, to do things. And so God finally meets him there in the wilderness as he's running from Esau. And, and God does what to Jacob? God, the Bible says he wrestles with him all night. What, what was God, was it like WWF? Or, see, when I was a kid, it was WWF. You guys probably know WWE. They changed it too, right? But yeah, I'm still from the Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage days. But the WWE or whatever, the UFC now, was it that type of wrestling match that Jacob and the Lord had described there in Genesis? No, he's wrestling with Jacob's will, with Jacob's desire to, to, to have, as God called him, a stiff necked It's a term he uses in the Old Testament, stiff necked Like your neck is stiff and you, you won't repent and you won't, you, you know, you're, you're hard all the time. And so God wrestles with his will all night. God wrestles with his heart. And then God physically um, shrinkens the muscle on his hip, and he, and he, and he, and he, he, he uh, dislocates his hip, basically, the hip joint. And so Jacob would walk with a limp the rest of his life after that. But it was in that moment that Jacob finally had a breakthrough, he had a broken and a contrite heart. And when he lost the wrestling match and there was nowhere else to go and God had finally got a hold of his heart and and physically had to to, um, handicap him to do it, but God got a hold of his heart and that night God changed his name from Jacob, which means surplanter or heel catcher, to what? To Israel. And Israel means governed by God. Israel means governed by God. So he was now governed by God and it's God's intent. So, so that that moment there, that night of, of Jacob's heart being changed and broken, and he was 75 years old. He had had that same heart and, and unwilling, and this was not the first time that God tried to get a hold of his heart, but he got to a point where he was broken before the Lord. And David is broken before the Lord so many times. And as I've shared with you guys, that, that David um, is is... I I, I want to be careful what I say, an anomaly in that David loved God and God commends David and gives David some of the highest compliments of anybody in the Bible. If you just read the life of David, you would say this guy at best is a middle of the pack when it comes to the Bible characters. He's not a Jacob, but he's, you know, he's no Apostle Paul either. But but then when you read the commentaries of what God says about him, he goes right to the very top. I mean, he says, this is a man after my own heart. When Solomon um, was, was, God spoke to Solomon after King David's death. And I share this all the time because I love it. You guys know what he said, right? David said to Solomon, Solomon, if you would have followed me with all of your heart, as your father David did, I would have blessed you. But you didn't. Now what's the difference? Solomon doesn't have recorded the type of egregious sins that King David had and committed in his life. But you know what? David never, never left God. Solomon, he started following foreign gods. He put God on the side and, and he started following foreign gods. And David never David's God was the Lord. And he stayed with him through thick and thin. And when he blew it, he, it took him a season, but he repented and he owned of his sins. And he never one time in all of his life, in all of his years, turned his heart against God or turned his back against God. Him and God, were, he was, God was his God through it all. When he was in trouble, when he was doing well, when he was doing bad. And, and the other, again, you see some of these other characters where they go through these seasons and, and, and they don't like or, they, or they're in a season of sin and they're, they're, you know, as the Bible says, whoring after other gods. And David never, 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 never turned his heart or his back on God. So David writes in Psalm 51 and verse 13, that I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. So David makes a promise to God in Psalm 51, 13, that through this heart of repentance that he has learned, he is going to um, he's going to teach Others and transgressors, God's ways, and sinners will be converted. And many scholars believe that it's in that promise of Psalm fifty-one, thirteen, that he writes Psalm 38 or 32. And I told you guys last week, the chronology of the Psalms, um, that, that uh, it's, it's, it's most commonly believed that Psalm 51 was written at the, uh, not commonly believed, this is fact. Psalm 51 was written after the sin with Bathsheba, but that Psalm 30, um Two was written later in David's life. And this is his, his teaching us. And, and this is, again, something that I'm going to stress, and I apologize if, if I get repetitious on some of these things, but they're very important. Um, David's ministry and his life through these seven penitent psalms, he teaches us a very, very valuable aspect of Christian living. And that is getting your heart and your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance and relationally. Now, again, when you sin and you need to repent, you're not repenting because you need to get saved again or because now you're on the outs with God because you're going to hell. You're you're, you're repenting unto sanctification relationally. Okay, can anybody relate to that? Like with a with with a you know a, a son or a daughter, and you, you, you're mad at them, they're mad at you, and, and you have to deal with them, you have to discipline them, and then the air gets cleared, and relationally things are now a husband and a wife when you're, when you're fighting and when you're really close. Those are um, two seasons we all go through in married life, and we understand them, and hopefully as married couples, we, we want to have a lot more seasons of being one and close, and a lot less seasons of, you know, sleeping with our back to each other and not talking for three days. And so that's repenting unto sanctification. It's it's never having that. Keeping the air clear between you and the Lord, relationally. Verse 1 of Psalm 32, he says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. What does the word blessed mean? Okay, let's say it together. Oh, how happy. Everybody, oh, how happy. The word um, I heard this today. Don't don't write this down or quote me on this because I didn't fact check this. But the word um, blessed in the in the Hebrew is Esher. That's fact. E s h e r Esher. And somebody said that the, 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 the boy's name. You guys know me name Asher. I, I, one of my sons have a friend named Asher. That that name Asher comes from that. And Asher, the derivative in the Hebrew is happy, and, and so it's a popular name. And that is true that the word. Um, blessed here. The Hebrew word is esher or asher. And so it means happy. Oh, how happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven. You know what's so ironic? This is so true about every aspect of life. But, you know, if you're outside of Christ, you're, you're spending your life trying to find happiness. You're spending your life trying to find joy, usually in sin or in other behaviors that don't bring happiness or don't bring joy. But, but here David is saying where, where, where people will search the world high and low, to and fro to find happiness, David talks about a condition for you and I that, that where we're happy is when we're in a position where God has forgiven us of our sins. When you know that you're forgiven, when God has spoken to you, he's cleared the air, and that's where you find joy. And, and, and what is the, the, the result of, of your sins being forgiven? Is that relationally, you're, you're intimate with God, you're close with God. And so that person is is happy, and oh how happy! Now again, I told you guys last week. Um, there's a note there in your margin, and it says "Maschil," M A S C H I L. This psalm is 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 a psalm. It's a Maschil psalm. Um, and it's a song, that, that term, that Hebrew term is a psalm of instruction. And so it's instructing a heart. Now, all of the psalms, as I told you guys on day one, are songs. This is a song book of Israel, and they were saying this particular Psalm 32 would have been sung on the last day of Yom Kippur, which was... Um, last Wednesday when we studied this, was the last day of Yom Kippur. So this song was being sung in all of the Hebrew and Jewish celebrations of Yom Kippur around the world. So this is that psalm that they sing on the last day of Yom Kippur. It's a psalm of instruction. And again, it's a penitent psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now, I want you to notice that there's three different terms used um, in verse 1 and 2 uh, for sin. Can you guys look down and find those three different terms for sin? Shout them out when you get them. Transgressions. Sin. And what's the other one? Iniquity. What what are those? Are those... Um, The same thing? Well, in essence, they all fit under the same category, yes. But um, if we're being technical, a transgression is like a knowing sin. So example, I draw a line in the sand and I say, do not step on the other side of that line. And you see the line, you know it's there, you know it's wrong, and you just willingly step over it. The word um, sin, the Greek word is hamartia, and it's, it, it, it technically means missing the mark. So it could be related to lots of things where you miss the mark. We can take it in a dart analogy. And so if, if I'm playing darts, I'm aiming for the bullseye, and I'm doing my best to hit the bullseye, and I'm missing the mark. That's, that's hamartia. That's sin, to miss the mark. And so, you know, I may be trying my best, and, and sometimes in life, you know, you, you, you let anger get the best of you, you do something, you lash out, you, you, you know, you stumble into something that, you know, you're not supposed to be looking at, and you linger, and, and you've missed the mark. You've sinned. Um, and then the last one, iniquity, is... Um, this one is more in the, in the nature of, of a twisted heart or guile. We, 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 we commit iniquity, we have iniquity because that's what's built in our heart. The Bible says that you know, iniquity is built into the heart of a child and the rod of correction drives it far from them. And so iniquity comes from just a sinful nature, a twisted heart, and, and, and iniquity will, will grow in your heart as if it goes unrepentant and unchecked the Bible says that it's it's like a hot iron that passes over your heart every time you commit iniquity and you continue with a twisted heart and listen that's why David said in Psalm 51 in one of the most important lines in all of Psalm 51 he said God created me a clean heart O God and the word he used for create is the same word that God uses in Genesis one when he says, "In the beginning, God created." The word, the Hebrew word, is bara. Bara means to create from nothing. Only God can create from nothing. I can give you materials, and you guys could make me a pulpit, but you can't make me a pulpit out of thin air. God, the Bible says, speaks. As a matter of fact, in Psalm thirty-three, look at Psalm thirty-three.